2: from KQED From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. For Ross Gay's new book called The Book of More Delights, a sequel to his 2019 bestseller, The Book of Delights, Gay imposed similar constraints on himself. Write every day, write quickly, write by hand for a year about life's daily joys, gifts, surprises that so often go unnoticed until we take the time. A paper menu, growing garlic, turning around before reaching a hike summit. We'll talk with the author of Inciting Joy about his revelations from another year of chronicling the things that delight him and we want to hear from you. What simple delight have you noticed that you'd like to share? Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. I've completed another year of delights, writes Ross Gay. Or maybe I should say another year of delights has completed me. In 2017, Gay began writing the original book of delights, with no plans to write a sequel, But five years later, in 2021, he was back at it, committing to write about one thing that he noticed that delighted him every day for a year. His new collection of essays is called The Book of More Delights, and it's filled with more odes to his garden and to gnomes and pick-up basketball and delayed flights. We'll talk to Gay about the power of noticing and wondering about and then sharing what delights us. Welcome back to Forum, Ross Gay.
3: Thank you. It's good to be with you again.
2: Yeah, so great to have you. It sounds like uh, you had a lot of people sharing their delights with you or launching a delight practice since the first book of delights came out in 2019. I am sure that this new one will bring a new wave of appreciation your way. But I was curious when you were describing all that you received after the first book of delights, what it's been like for you to have people sort of credit you for facilitating delight in their lives
3: well you know i think it one thing is nice it's i mean it feels good plainly um but it it's good practice discipline i think to remember to be like yeah that's not me it's like i was sort of witnessing these things that were given to me the delights you know and and to sort of acknowledge that you know that there were in this kind of circuit of giving and receiving and giving and receiving and yeah. um and the other thing is that it's just like fascinating to hear what people are delighted by, you know, it's, it, 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 it for the most part, it does not bring you down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Why do you find it so important to remind us that delights are given to us that, that we don't control them necessarily?
3: Yeah, it's a great point. And a great question. Yeah. I think the kind of like the muscle of it is, is noticing, um, but I think it's, um, say your question again. <laughs> okay, why correct.
2: Why do you remind people that delights are sort of given to us, that you were not the yeah. necessarily the origin point, or at least that for you, the origin point were delights that were likewise given to you in
3: a way? Yeah, yeah. I Because I think, and one thing is that delights are the evidence of our connection. You know, it's sort of like the pleasant, there's lots, lots of evidence of our connection, but they're like the sweet or pleasant evidence Of our being connected, so like when the, you know, when the, um, whatever, this chimney swifts all like, um, come out of the tree, and you happen to be there, you know, the tree that your friend Claire told you to check out, um, at dusk, whatever in the summer, and you happen to be there, and you see it, you're reminded both of the instructions, you're reminded of the trees, you're reminded of the, you feel maybe for me, kind of profoundly connected for a moment, even if, if it's fleeting. You know, and so the connection feels like the the crucial, crucial aspect of it, you know.
2: Yeah. You say that we basically exist in this sort of concerted effort to keep us on the lookout against each other, to essentially erode our connections, to erode our faith in each other. And I really loved your example yeah. of how the intercom pre-recording at the airport that tells you to, like, keep an eye on your bags. <laughs> It's like part of that effort, basically to keep us totally. disconnected
3: <laughs> like ten million things, and you know, heads up, heads up, you know, um, and uh yeah i don't I don't want that reminder, <laughs> yeah,
2: well, it's at the airport where one of the delights that you write about, I was really struck by because it is so something that I never would have found delightful, and that is. <laughs> when your flight gets delayed <laughs> right <laughs> I wonder actually if you wouldn't mind um reading from the chapter where you write about the delight in a delayed flight it's called early
3: yeah yeah um and it's sort of you know, and to set, set the whole essay up a little bit, I'm sort of talking about the, the pleasure of, maybe especially for a little bit of a late-ish person like myself, <laughs> when periodically <laughs> you find yourself with some free time because someone else is later than you are or blew it off altogether, you know. Um, perhaps no place is better at producing one's earliness than the airport, given as planes are not infrequently late and given as, not always, but often, I'm rushing to catch them. In this case, time, which is scant and sinister as I'm driving too fast to the airport, becomes when I jog to the check-in machine praying security is not a mess and see on the board that my flight is delayed at two hours, spacious as the sky in Montana. Even if on the other side of that flight is someone or something I really want to see or do, a late plane usually tickles me. the kind of person to say, oh, I would oh goody, as I exhale, amble through security extra chipper suddenly, and then mosey about the airport like it's a mall, which airports these days kind of are. I look to see if there are any books worth reading. Some airports have good bookstores these days. I flip through a magazine or two, all the water fountains. I even inspect the vending machines, which vend so many things these days. I avert my eyes from any television flickering news hell. If I'm early enough, I might cruise over to another terminal, maybe all the terminals depending, to see how they do it in the hinterlands, usually the same. I might find an empty spot and do some push-ups and lunges, but the most enticing part of the airport, which is already sparklingly liminal and sparkles more when you are newly early, earlier still as your flight gets delayed some more, is the people who are always very interesting, but a little extra interesting in airports.
2: That's Roske reading from his new book The Book of More Delights and of course listeners you can join the conversation by telling us about one of your delights maybe something small and everyday that brings you joy or wonder or maybe something that most people would not think is delightful unless you have the opportunity to really turn it on its head as Roske just did with <laughs> delayed flights <laughs> if there is something you'd like to ask or tell Roske you can do that too email forum at kqed.org. Find us on our social channels at kqed forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. It does really feel like for you getting time or time back is a big part of being able to notice what delights you or even to be delighted
3: yeah yeah totally and there there is some kind of uh i feel like a handful of these delights really point to that 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 having time to to linger actually having time to linger and to um to be lost a little bit you know to um bring in rebecca solnit who whose book a field guide to being lost is such a good to me um that feels really important to the you know like Actually, to sort of pay attention, to be able to have the time, the space, um, to be able to notice things in ways that you have not before. And it feels like that's a part of delight also, that things might, you know, surprise or being new, made newly aware of something feels like a part of that. And being made newly aware often requires a little bit of space where what we already know doesn't sort of override what we, what we don't yet.
2: Well, along similar lines, why do you like paper menus so much?
3: i didn't know that i liked paper menus so much until the the curse 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 uh qr code menus came out (laughs) and and i just sort of like realized oh this you know uh, um that feels like another sort of instance of this of this kind of uh separation from one another you know like paper menus are these things that you know, maybe didn't notice it before a few years ago, but they are these opportunities of exchange and close and, um, and actually sharing, you know, there was a thing that I sort of, I write about this in the, in the book. And I noticed newly that part of what we do with menus is we like put our, run our fingers along them and we show them to our, whoever we're eating with, if we're eating with someone, or we might show them to the to the server who's going to kind of lean over them and like make recommendations and um it's this whole kind of circuit of um you know getting a little close to each other helping each other out maybe um and and that feels really important to me you know so that's why i love paper menus so there's this tiny little emblem of that possibility sparkling radical emblem of that possibility <laughs>
2: Well, Jim on Discord writes, when I'm feeling glum, I browse recent top posts on the subreddit made me smile. So of course, listeners, if there are things Mm. that delight you, big or small, or ways that you find delight, like... Opting for the paper menu instead of the QR code. You can share those. Yeah, it was really funny when you were writing about the virtual reality PR guy and sort of the lovely conversation, or I think he assumed it was a lovely conversation you were having about virtual reality. And then afterwards, like you have to get very close to a tree and just like inhale the blossoms.
3: Yep. 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 It's like the real, the tangible, the, you know, the, the living. Living and dying, you know, the actual the actual thing is uh really crucial and there's a, a lot of uh trying to trick us into thinking it's not.
2: Yeah. The touching is really important. There are just so many moments like when you were describing digging up your sweet potatoes and your arms are mm. like elbow deep in dirt. Mm. Um yeah. I can just really feel I can really feel it in my fingertips. I can feel it yeah. in in my arms. What do you think we lose when we don't exercise touch anymore in the ways that we we used to?
3: I mean God um, i mean i th- I think um I mean everything in a way, it's sort of like our our um, it's a great question. It feels like it makes me want to just like go write a million essays about it. Um, but I feel like our our relationship to one another is, you know, like our our capacity for tending to one another is and exchanging with one another. Also, like expressing our need to one another depends on touch, actually. you know, it it depends on our being willing and able to receive, you know, whether it's food or whether it's care or, you know, whether it's like a high five, you know, all all these things. That's like, to me, that's the substance of life, you know.
2: Yeah. We're talking with Roske about delights, about noticing, wondering, sharing our delights so that we can fight this concerted effort to keep us disconnected And you can share yours by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on our social channels, or by calling 866-733-6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
2: You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
1: Couchside tables
2: made of crates, event posters, noticing how so many of your most comfortable clothes used to belong to your friends. The word belong. These are some of poet and essayist Ross Gay's More Delights from his new book, The Book of More Delights. What's one simple delight of yours and why? 866-733-6786, the number. Our social channels at KQED Forum are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. The email address Forum at kqed.org. In 2019, Ross published his Book of Delights, his first collection of essays chronicling a year in his life, beginning with his birthday. His rule was that he wrote these daily delights quickly and mostly by hand, and the book became a New York Times bestseller, still frequently recommended at bookstores and between friends to this day. Ross, why do you like putting that constraint? Why did you put that constraint on yourself? Write every day, write by hand, write quickly.
3: You know, I, I mean, the daily thing made sense because I was sort of the, I thought it required a kind of dailiness to, to, you know, to get to what I didn't yet know I was trying to get to, but, um, I had a hunch the writing by hand thing. It felt like one, it would make it easier because I wouldn't have to have access to any, um, like a computer or something. And cause I was trying to set the bar very low for myself cause I'm not actually a daily writer. So that would be easy. No books. Um, but the other thing is there's a kind of um, physicality to writing that I, that I care about. I like it. Um, I also think I think differently when I write by hand. Um, and the more I write by hand, the more I sort of um, recognize that there's all this kind of uh, erasure of thinking that a computer allows that, that I actually don't want. I want to see mm. the the remainder or the remains um, of the architecture or the archaeology or whatever of where I've come to be, where I've come to, what I've come to think. And third, that uh, sort of, you know, I draft these essays in 30 minutes and partly that was another way of keeping the bar very low. To so like, I'm not spending four hours working on an essay. I'm just quickly jotting a thing off. Um, so it lowered the bar. It made me know that I was playing. I wasn't trying to be an expert. You know, I was just playing and it, what it created was one, a kind of playfulness, I think, um, two. There's a kind of thinking that happens on account of the like the time. There's a kind of syntactic um, bouncing around, a kind of movement that I don't think I did before I did this kind of particular thirty-minute timed writing. So that and that feels really important. That feels like a kind of discovery um, in my writing and thinking process.
2: Well, if you wouldn't mind, could you read another essay that I wondered about the writing process of this one, but it's called. All right, baby. <laughs> and you can feel free to set it up if you want or just go into it.
3: I, lo- I love how you. I, was, I always, it takes, this book is I, brand new, but I've read this a couple of times and I, it's, it's All Right, Baby, italicized. And so it's spoken exclamation point. And so I'm right? always like, All right, baby, or All Right, baby. Or, yeah, yeah. I can just totally it.
2: hear it on the basketball court, like, Yeah, and, like clapping yeah. your hands or something. <laughs>
3: yes. Here it goes. My friend Bernardo and I went to the courts yesterday. And as we were running through our warm-up, about 100 mid-range jumpers, a couple young guys came over and asked us to challenge us. It felt like sort of lingering nearby, glaring at us a little derisively, it seemed, for the very act of warming up. Look at these dorks. And when we finished warming up, oh fine, limbering up, we checked the ball, we checked the ball in, and we promptly kicked the beep out of them. <laughs> My bad. We got more buckets than they did. These kids were in their early twenties babies though, the baby who was guarding me a wiry little guard in a snuggly of tattoos with a nice crossover and awful jump shot and reluctance to smile was doing his damnedest to prove he was no baby. He was shoving me and elbowing me and wrapping me up and hacking me all of which I was admiring to myself and out loud. But when I blew a chippy jump hook and got my own rebound and was putting it back, he shoved me hard square in the chest and being airborne, I fell inelegantly on my ass, though kept my eyes on the shot, which, damn, missed. When I was still on the ground, Bernardo and I made the briefest eyes at each other that held the entire history of mankind, by which I mean mankind, the beginning, middle, and end of every war ever made but I almost immediately jumped up and applauded this kid for a good hard foul and even sort of hugged him, just this him consensually, which he warily accepted, barking as I was a slurry of coachly affirmations. Good stuff! Well done! All right, baby, that's what I'm talking about! Which, in retrospect, were probably directed at me as much as my assailant, by which I mean it was not too long ago that if this baby, or any baby, hacked me like that so openly and notoriously, I would have thrown at least one punch in the direction of this baby's head. More accurately, it would have been my body, my youthfully testicled body, my youthful testicles doing the throwing, throwing themselves toward this kid's head, which, you know, things can escalate. Testicle things, testicles can really go wrong.
2: (laughs) Again, Ross reading from the Book of More, delights that (laughs) um, essay called... Okay, so tell me... Tell me the story behind this. Essay, er, you should say
3: that you all chose that. I didn't, I didn't cho- choose that. You <laughs> okay. all chose
2: that. No. <laughs> the reason that I chose this is because I thought, okay, so he's writing every day. He's writing quickly. He's writing my hand. But did all of that sort of meditation about who, how you've changed, who you've become, sort of, you know, you, you keep on going to say that this person, this sort of tough guy, has become smaller and smaller, right? And Rather, and, 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 <laughs> and so things take on new meaning, including, <laughs> including your testicles. And I thought, okay, that can't <laughs> be something that he just thought, like he just wrote down in one day in 30 minutes, right? So I'm just curious what your process is. Like, when did you notice and why did you notice that that was a potential delight? And where in the process of thinking and writing about it does this deeper, you know, meditation, I guess, come out?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. And no, absolutely. Like feel like it was lucky because we were playing ball and, you know, this whole thing sort of transpired. And then as we're walking home from from playing basketball and having a conversation um, about what happened and what didn't happen, um, then it's the wheel started turning and it was like, oh, right. Like, God, I love this kid so much. Why did I love him so much? And like on and on and on. And then you know, sort of reflecting on it also with Bernardo being like, you know, who noticed that we looked at each other. (laughs) He was the one who told me, yeah, we looked, you remember we looked at each other like, uh uh-oh, here we go. (laughs) And um, so it was, it's sort of a long reflection, but then of course, yeah, all of the, um, all of the, the jokiness, like the use of the words (laughs) testicles, which is intended to be really funny and transforms the, transforms the meaning of the testicles actually over time right is it it took a lot of revising it took a lot of revising yeah for sure or the snuggly of
2: tattoos i mean that's a pretty great yeah
3: Yeah, it it takes a while i i love i love to revise. you know i'm like i was just telling someone earlier today like i'm a decent writer at first first draft i write a lot you know so i'm decent but i'm a pretty good reviser. no
2: yeah yeah no that makes a lot of sense um Well, we've got listeners writing in and sharing their reflections, and Caroline on Discord writes, I think my favorite interaction with a stranger that I'd call a delight would be the time when I went to the post office. I was in a rush, and I needed stamps, and the woman who worked there asked if I wanted a certain design. And I said, no, no, really, whatever's fine, to expedite everything. And she paused, looked at me, she smiled, and she said, let me give you the most beautiful ones we have. It was just so kind, without any reason to be so. Not that anyone needs a reason to be so, but it affected me. It made me pause. And I still smile when I see those woodland creatures in snow forever stamps, because I love that these were the mm. most beautiful stamps in the post office to her, and she wanted to share them with me.
3: Totally. I love it. I love it. You know, I have the pleasure of not having a phone that gives me directions. So I'm always asking people for directions. <laughs> which means that I'm again and again and again, like being cared for.
2: Yeah. Well, Deirdre writes, imagine my delight to hear this conversation as I get in the car. Oh, sorry. I think you paused for a second there on my end. Uh,
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. Anywhere, anywhere, um, you know, almost anytime, you know, I've been on the road for the last five or six days and have required quite a bit, required quite a bit of like guidance and Man, the tenderness with which people do that. It's just like a daily thing.
2: Well, Deirdre writes, imagine my delight to hear this conversation as I get in the car after walking my dog. I carry the book of delights in my backpack as though it's my Bible. Returning to favorites, Uh. sharing with my students. One of my favorites I come back to, the delight of watching a stranger fix a companion's collar, a gesture of care and intimacy that brings me joy. What do we lose when we lose touch? Our humanity, I think. Thank you for this treasure of a book. I can't wait to read more, though it will undoubtedly mean my backpack will be yet fuller Um, Along the lines of touch, this listener writes, I'm from the South where people tend to be more touchy-feely. Living in the Bay Area, I've learned to tone that down and have managed to limit myself to mainly touching people's arms when I talk to them. But I can't tell you how many people are averse to this or annoyed by it, not by me necessarily, but folks have commented to me about being bothered when others do that to them or even see it, which has always struck me as strange do you think that's exceptional or do you think that we are moving in that direction where touch is strange?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, part of me thinks, uh, um, that there are forces that would like us to feel like touch is strange, you know, (laughs) there's a, there's a market for that. Um, but I, but I, I mean, but it also makes me inclined to be like, um, Acutely aware of all the sweet touches, you know. I was on the plane the other day, and I was putting on a sweatshirt in the aisle, standing up, putting on the sweatshirt. And <laughs> this woman on the other side of the aisle, you know, she was probably I was flying to South Dakota, and this woman on the other side of the aisle saw that I couldn't find my armhole, and she just picked up my sweatshirt and like started guiding it for my arm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> woman could have been like my mother's age or something. And she just saw what I was doing. And when I sort of said thank you and smiled, she was just like, you know, it's like no big deal. It's like she hadn't done anything, you know. But she had like taken such sweet care of me by touching me, by the way.
2: Yeah. Well, you know what I love about what you just did, which is that, you know, we read this thing about this person who's saying that they, you know, get a funny look if they touch somebody or they've had to tone down touch. And you say, well, it makes me appreciate the moments that People do reach out and touch, right? Like in this case of the sweatshirt. Because you write about how you you don't, when something undelightful happens, you don't necessarily look at the bright side, but you look at everything. <laughs> so
1: yeah. Yeah. it's yes. not like
2: you looked at the bright side of that comment, but you added something to it can you mm. talk about that? Why, mm. why it's important yeah. for you to emphasize that you are not trying to look at the bright side of something.
3: Yeah. 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 I think, um, yeah, I think I say it in the book, something like that, that, that periodically I'll get, um, yes. <laughs> I almost said accused, <laughs> but I don't, I don't mean accused. I kind of, I kind of think mischaracterized as looking at the bright side of things. Um, and I don't, think i am and i just like i don't think i'm an optimist i think i'm looking at everything you know and so so my my sense is that in the midst of you know like in the previous comment um observation uh, it it yeah it makes me think oh yeah i'm aware i can i can identify with that and it also makes me think in the midst of identifying with that i want to identify with the thing that i want as opposed to the thing that i'm sort of nervous about you know I want to identify with the with the tender touchings that we seem often to be in the midst of you know yeah
2: how much uh is noticing delights we're talking about the many roles that it can play but how much of it or is it partly a coping mechanism
3: Mm, great question um how do you mean how do you mean
2: like for example I guess I thought about this when I read your chapter on imposter syndrome and you talked about how we, so many of us go through it and can relate to it and so on. But at the same time, you talk about how, when we really stop to think about what kind of system we're trying to be part of, it's a pretty terrible system, right? Or you say things like, you know, there's a concerted effort for our disconnection. so. I feel like there is a part of you that sees and is in touch with like the real, I don't know, almost like a a malicious character, right, of our culture or something like that. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like, who's the mm-hmm. they, right? Who's making that concerted effort? Who, who's creating the system that we should really question whether we really want to be part of and whether it's not such a bad thing that we feel like imposters in it, Right.
0: Yeah. So I wonder yeah.
2: sometimes, like, wow, that's really heavy and a lot to carry around. I completely get it. I mean, mm. don't get me wrong. I am yeah. no happy, like, go-lucky person, right? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
2: But I wonder. Yeah, I think, yeah sorry. Go mm-hmm. ahead. If, like, looking for delight well, no, is just a way of balancing that.
3: I think that's a neat and true observation. Like, I think partly, I mean, like, and to the last person's um, comment, too, and, or, and whatever to the side of that around that is that, yeah, we're also in the midst of profoundly brutal touching, you know, that's also, that also is a thing, you know, and my interest is not to negate or pretend that that's not also part of our midst. But my intention is because I'm interested in growing a particular thing. And I've come to sort of understand and believe that the more steady a thing, the more it grows, you know, the more you get, the more you see it. The more you study it, maybe this most importantly, the more you're able to contribute to it or participate in it, meaning whatever that this, this you know, the the care um, inclines me to sort of do that. And I think you might be right, it, you know, in the midst of um, in the in the midst of, you know, sometimes carelessness or an absence of care. Yeah. Yeah.
2: The other thing. That's that a
3: great observation. Yeah.
2: Oh, thanks. Yeah. Coping, I mean, things?
3: coping is in, coping. Oh. Coping is an interesting word. Like I don't think of coping in a way when you were talking, I was thinking almost like um, I was thinking more of like an offense, you know, offensively <laughs> or something. It feels more antagonistic in a certain kind of way. Um, which, I which just came to my mind, just came out of my mouth. And it requires me to think a little bit more about it, but it feels like I'm this, this mode of witnessing our care feels in a little bit of a way of being like, the care is bigger than the absence of care. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, the care will beat up the absence of care. So.
2: <laughs> well, I certainly hope you're right. I think so the right. other thing that made me think of it was <laughs> when you wrote that, an alternative title for this book is The Book of Despites. And I think that's yeah. also... Yeah, because yeah, like, despite these things that are really hard, I mean, you give some really hard examples to read, right? About yeah. medical experimentation, about, you know, just the incredible inequality and so on. Um, so it makes sense that the alternative title for the book is The Book of Despites. The Book of Despites, we, we find delights, I guess.
3: <laughs> yeah, 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 in the midst of, in the midst of, um, you know, our failings, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our sorrow, not despite them, but in the midst of them, um, yeah. we figure yeah. out, maybe we figure out mostly, I think, how to care for one another.
2: Yeah, it's really connected. The care is really connected. I want to invite listeners, tell us, do you struggle to notice delights? Or did something in your life change to make you better at noticing and appreciate appreciating them in the in the mix of it all. <laughs> you can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org calling 866-733-6786 or finding us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. You're also probably hearing lots of music that might be familiar to you. This is Prince's 1999 songs that uh, Rasky references in his new book, The Book of More Delights. We'll have more with him and with you after the break. Stay with us. I'm I'm Kim. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour with Ros about his new The Book of More Delights, which includes gems like these sentences. Whoever makes it their business to stick gnomes in the crook of a tree, I love you, I realized today. Or this from the chapter called Braces on Adults. There is something so dear about this adult endeavor toward what? A better smile, less dental pain, greater jaw health, enunciatory support? that for whatever reason, lack of access, lack of diagnosis, lack of time, lack of concern is not endeavored toward until adulthood. <laughs> We're hearing about okay. your delights, listeners, and Airy writes, my delight is frozen cookie dough turning previous baking into a weeknight delight. Paul writes, I recently experienced the sheer delight of something very important going wrong and later proving to not be my fault. All fingers were pointing at me. I myself even felt responsible for the mistake. The delight of all that pressure being lifted was almost worth it. Never slept better afterwards. <laughs> mm. ah, absolution. I loved, um, I loved your description of the, uh, the adult... Braces or the braces on adults. <laughs> yeah, and what that turned yeah. into, which is also, I think, a commentary that you were making about just how overparented kids are these days, <laughs> which then also turned into like an incredibly heroic moment by your own. I don't know if you want to tell part of that story, but wow, what a story.
3: <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. I- <laughs> I, it's basically the story is that in the midst of sort of talking about my my teeth and teeth um, and healthcare and such, um, I mentioned that when I was a little kid, my mother took me and my brother um, shopping at some place called the Sears Surplus down on Roosevelt Boulevard in Northeast Philly, and I was like swinging on the little things that kept the carts in, and because you know she wanted us not to be bugging her, so we stayed in the parking lot. Playing, and I was swinging on this thing, and I fell on my face, and my teeth caved in, and bit through my lip, and uh, everything. And my mother—important <laughs> part of the story—is that my brother took me into the store, and my mother like shouted for him to get get me out of the store, or else I'd bleed. <laughs> I might bleed on the clothes, you know. <laughs> but she's as I as I say in the essay, we weren't flush like that, you know. <laughs> we, we couldn't couldn't be bleeding all over the clothes. So she took me over to the Dunkin' Donuts across the way and took me into the women's uh, bathroom and just like pulled my teeth, however far crashed into my face they were, pulled them back into place. And then we went about our day.
2: Yeah. You you talk so much about how <laughs> your mother has become such a source of delight in the last 5 years. I mean, I'm sure she was even in the first 5 years, but in the last 5 years between the first book of delights and now. But there's also this thing where she loves something that you absolutely loathe, <laughs> which is the Macy's yeah. Day Parade.
3: <laughs> so Yeah, that's
2: a uh, yep. So what do you do when someone delights in something that you loathe?
3: Yeah. You know, it's an interesting essay in part because I'm sort of like part of what I'm turning upside down in my head is that I'm sort of witnessing my mother take such simple kind of glee, um, delight in this event, which to me is a kind of just like the a cauldron of consumerist misery. It's sort of like the biggest doom soiree that there is in a way it feels like and I'm in a mood, you know. And, um, and part of that mood is connected to the fact that when she's sort of telling these stories about, you know, being very sort of broke and living paycheck to paycheck and sort of, you know, what it, what it meant to feel what it felt like that, you know? And part of the struggle of the essay is me being like, my, my mother, me wondering why is that more enraging to me um, than it is, at that moment anyway, to my mother. Who lived through it more acutely than than I did, as I say, um, and so yeah. that's sort of the that's sort of the question of it. But but you know, I don't know what I do. You know, in that instance, I sort of did my best to bite my tongue <laughs> and let her enjoy her Macy's Day Parade and the and the Snoopy and the Snoopy float or whatever.
2: <laughs> right. You know, it's moments like that when I wondered if you know, on the surface, the Book of More Delights feels like a collection of delights, but I wondered, like, are you making an argument is this book a strategy for like a bigger social argument
3: i think probably <laughs> <laughs> i think probably yeah
2: <laughs> but you're not going to say what that is
3: <laughs> well i think many i think probably many of them you yes know, but yes. um but i you know i have i have big questions and in a certain kind of way you know there's all these things like i have someone recently put it in a way that, that i can't quite remember it but they did it really beautifully i got it re- refine that. But there is a kind of rhetorical, there's some kind of rhetorical strategy, I think, to yes. these essays, which is yes. that, you know, I have things that I want to think about um, among them, or maybe like the, the I don't know what how you say it, like the catalyzing or the gathering thing maybe is delight. Um, more importantly, um, what we love, you know, what I love, what we might love together. But inside of that is also like all of these questions in the midst of that, And some of those questions are obviously about the interruptions, um, to what we might love or the interruptions to care or the interruptions of how we might be able, you know, to have healthcare or to have clean drinking water or to have like soil and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. Well, Jen writes, last summer a friend gave me a cutting of a coveted passion fruit vine. I was sure I had lost it with the Mm. monsoon that we experienced in Northern California this past year because for this entire growing season, there was bare dirt where the vine should have been. But just last week, I noticed that it had risen from the dead and had already grown Mm. almost three feet. I couldn't believe my eyes. It was like a miracle. Mm. Jen's comment reminds me so much of like... Uh, when you talk about seeing the, those first shoots um, in your garden,
3: <laughs> yeah, totally. it never totally. gets yeah, old, right? Never gets old, and I realize that part of what's um, what's moving to me and interesting, probably like a character study, is that every time the garlic the garlic comes up, I'm like, "Oh my god, it came up!" <laughs> you know, <laughs> even though it's been coming up every year for the last 15 years, I'm like there's this kind of, you know, it's, that's some kind of argument. I don't know what it is about faith. You know, there's something about like, you know, like, um, or gratitude. There's something about faith and gratitude inside of that every single time being like, because it, it won't necessarily always come up or something, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me go to caller David in Santa Rosa. Hi, David. You're on
0: good morning. My delight comes from my puppy dog which is, uh, uh, you know, just the way dogs are. But he happens to be uh, an American Staffordshire Terrier, and he's more of a hunter than a retriever. And I've been fascinated, because I've never known a dog like him before, uh, how much he delights and is fascinated by his world through his nose. And uh, to go for a walk with him is always a kind of a long-term project because he spends so much time delighting in his world just yeah. through his uh his olfactory senses and it's uh it's inspired me to slow down and smell the roses more if you'll excuse the expression
2: <laughs> oh that's lovely david thank you
3: beautiful. yeah beautiful
2: yeah, animals as sources of um, our delight and noticing them. You have quite a few essays about that, Roske, in your book. Yeah, about...
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the critters—they—they're uh, beautiful guides and teachers, and <laughs> a lot of. I totally know that that thing of like, "Whoa, you're smelling everything, man!"
2: A listener on Discord writes: One thing that may seem small is voicemail messages. Now almost obsolete. Mm. I love to save voicemails from loved ones. It's a marker in time. Mm. And I have voicemails from my father and sister, both now in the spirit world, and am so grateful to have kept those. Mm. Totally. Again, speaking to that tangibility, I think you were referencing before and how important it is to keep the tangible. Um, Susan writes, I grew up in South Dakota and I've always been delighted by the response. Can't complain when you ask an old timer how they feel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they have a history that helps them appreciate how it is now for them, <laughs> which just made you laugh just then when someone says, can't complain.
3: It's so funny, yeah, because on the other side, you're like, eh, I'd be complaining.
2: <laughs> so I want to ask you a little bit about aging, because I feel like a lot of your essays also touch on this a little bit, um, where you reference your age a lot. I think you were 47 as you were writing it. What, are you 49 now then? Yep. Why, was your age like really in front of mind for you?
3: Only probably because, um, or maybe extra because I was doing the same project, but five years later. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I think, I didn't anticipate at all that one of the subjects of the book would be aging, but, but I've learned that, you know, when you do a project every handful of years, you know, and in those years, you know, beloveds have died and your, you know, your knee- knees sound different and like, you know, <laughs> whatever. The trees are bigger. Um, that, that is a, that puts it kind of front and center, you know. For yeah. me, it did. For me, it did.
2: Yeah. Well, Susie writes, I'm a bit sad because I realized that somewhere along the line, I set aside my appreciation for delight and just grind away all day long trying to conquer the mountain of tasks I've set for myself. I also think owning a house has somehow contributed to the shift of priorities. When I was younger from my teens on, I probably moved 40-plus times to different apartments, towns, friends' couches, and floors. And doing so encountered a myriad of new experiences, many of them life-changing. Owning my first home felt like a huge accomplishment in my early 50s. But now at 64, I think it stifled me more than helped. I bet there's a lot in Susie's comment that you'd agree with.
3: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I could. I could yeah I could, it it's just made me think um how so much <laughs> that kind of accomplishment drive ambition etc um thing is is often not particularly fulfilling you know that's 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 actually what that made me think
2: yeah so if you had to describe the delight or delights that you've noticed in aging, what what would be one?
3: I mean, one like for instance, in that essay about um, playing ball, um, it was absolutely a delight of aging that mm. you know, not too long ago, that that would have been a kind of potential moment of violence, you know, as opposed to being like this really endearing, uh, like this. <laughs> that bout of encouragement and support, you know, that absolutely is the case. I feel like the ways that I, um, interact with students and teach with, you know, teach, I feel like there's a lot of things inside of that, that, that feel very much like, oh yeah, this is, you've learned things, you know, this is on account of you being older. Um, you know, even the ways that I interact with and think about the garden or the orchards that I've been around, um, I feel like they're very informed by, or, you know, and also getting older and sort of having a more, um, having a different relationship with myself or even the idea of myself. I feel like there's something that makes me feel softer, actually. I'm just sort of stumbling. You can hear, but it makes me feel softer. And I feel like maybe a certain kind of softness or capacity to be moved might be itself kind of necessary for delight, you know? Delight requires the capacity to be moved, you know? And and the older I get, I feel like the softer I get and maybe the less sort of rigid and um, fixed I'm inclined or trying to be.
2: Hmm. We're talking with Ross Gay. <laughs> this happens to be a fundraising period for many public radio stations. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Yeah, you also write, the older that I get, the harder... Time I have dispensing with my delight. So you you added in your appendix all the delights that you didn't include in the book, that didn't make it into the book. Um, what is it about getting older that made you want to do that, to, that made it harder for you to dispense with your delights?
3: Well, it is, you know, the preciousness and I think sort of the practicing. You know, this year we have these hummingbirds who are, you know, um, crew of hummingbirds who are spending a lot of time in the garden. And I became acutely aware that, you know, or practice, I became acutely aware that I, maybe I should be practicing paying attention in a way that understands that one, one day they're going to leave and they're not going to come back for, you know, if we're lucky, um, a handful of months, you know, till next, late next spring. And I feel like that Aging is also a kind of opportunity for that to be like, hey, you know, like precious, (laughs) you know, it ain't last forever. It ain't lasting forever. You know, things get a little bit more radiant, I think, when we um, pay close attention to the fact that we're, you know, we're dying.
0: Let me
2: go to caller John in San Francisco. Hi, John. You're on.
4: Hey, good morning. Hello. You there?
2: I am. Go right ahead.
4: Yeah, ahead. Uh, th- this guy is very interesting. I joined the 12-step program uh, with, uh, 45 years ago, and uh, I'm 85 now, and uh, <laughs> this guy sounds like uh, the very stuff that we talk about at uh, 12-step meetings. Um, I-, I had no idea that writing, you know, would uh, open up my brain, to, you know, especially writing, writing by hand uh, would free me of, of all the things that uh, I was afraid of before I joined this 12-step program. And uh, this this thing about uh, getting older, I thought my life was at an end when I joined the 12-step program. I had, you know, burned the bridges so badly. And as no a matter of fact, it was just beginning. Um uh, no, I, I don't know if any of this makes any sense to anybody out there, but uh, uh, sitting down every night, you know, we, we, in 12-step programs, we call it a, a, a 12-step inventory, and, and writing, I can never stop. I can write for four, five, six hours, yeah. because mm-hmm. something happens in, in, in my constitution that opens up. Uh, no, awesome. I'm, I'm not sure where it all comes from. Maybe maybe this fellow. uh, Oh, by the way, I came in late. Tell me where I can find this writing uh, of his, please.
2: Oh, yes. Well, it's called (laughs) The Book of More Delights, and it came out fairly recently. And I should also remind listeners that you probably know Roske's other books, which include Inciting Joy and Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude, and of course, the original Book of Delights. Um. Rebecca writes, overhearing uproarious laughter is one of my delights, especially the unbridled hilarity of teenagers. Adolescence can be a time oh. of dysregulated emotions. Thumbs up for dysregulated hilarity.
3: Mm, um, yeah. Kids, yeah. Kids uh, laughing together, kids cheering for each other. Um, and the thing I wanted to say about um, the caller, the previous caller, that's so moving to me. Is that I feel like part of part of the um, the process of writing these delights, or or the or even the process of like sort of um, say being capable or willing to be moved, it suggests that we do not know, you know. And it not only does it suggest that we don't do not know, it suggests that we're in the process of changing, you know. And I'm not saying changing good to bad or bad to good. I'm just saying that we're in the process of changing, which also means the process of becoming. And so when we witness or practice um being in the process of becoming for ourselves i feel like we can see it in other people and it feels like that itself is like this profoundly tender making possibly tender making experience you know i'm just so glad that got called
2: yeah and i'm so glad you made the point about just the process of constant change and how much changes relationally and so on through all of that well, Roske, as always, it's such um, it's always so wonderful to talk with you and to hear and, and to think out loud with you <laughs> in the moment.
3: Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Ros-Gay. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. Thank yeah. you.
2: Check out his book, The Book of More Delights. Thanks Caroline Smith for producing this segment. Thank you listeners as always. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
0: Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S and James L Knight Foundation. The Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.